Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Pod, pod, pod. How do you like it? How do you like it? Pod, pod, pod. How do you like it? How do you like it? Pod, pod, pod. How do you like it? How do you like it? Ooh, how do you like your pod? Is <laughs> that too much? Um, hello and welcome to the latest hot sounds from the UK Tech Weekly podcast. Cut by the editors of PC Advisor, Tech World, Macworld UK and Computer World UK. Every Friday we board an audio train, losing our audio tickets, not being able to find an audio seat, putting up with audio delays and having to take a replacement bus audio service in order to bring you no more, or occasionally slightly more, than 40 minutes of informed chat on the hot tech topics of the past seven days. Please don't forget to subscribe, review, and tell your friends. I'm David Price, Deputy Editor of Macworld UK, and today I am delighted to be joined in conversation by Centre Parting, it's Jim Martin. <laughs> Martin. Hello. Editor of PC Advisor, hello Jim. Feeling poorly, it's Tom McCauley. <laughs> Hello. Online editor at these a week. Online editor of Tech World. Hi. And senseless killing spree. It's Tamlin McGee. Wow. Online editor of Computer <laughs> World. Hello. This week we are talking MWC, GDS, and robot-related RIP. FAB. UK Tech Weekly podcast. Jim Martin, uh, thank you for joining us here in cold, wintry England, while your colleagues drink cocktails in sunny Barcelona. Uh, other than the excellent food, architecture and cultural life, what is so great about Barcelona and Barcelona this week in particular? Well, obviously, there's a lot to love about Barcelona, but this week um, is MWC, which means Mobile World Congress. And that, in turn, means new mobile phones. Brilliant. Or as we call them today, smartphones. <laughs> well, well, does everybody call them smartphones? Actually, they just call them phones. They're just phones, aren't they? Yeah. Let's, let's not beat about the bush. Well, so, but this leads us to an immediate point, is that there was a phone announced that isn't a smartphone, um, which is... That is a very good point, actually. So should we re re uh, return to the Nokia 3310 relaunch as a dumb phone? Because that is essentially <laughs> what it is. It is a phone which is it's been re-released, really. It's not yeah. the same as the original. So if, you, if you're kind of want to go on that retro trip and have another 3310 you're gonna to have to buy one off ebay or something because the new one is bigger it is it's not exactly the same but it doesn't have a touch screen it does have a bigger screen but it is still exactly the same it's a dumb phone does it have snake it does have snake and this of is one snake. of the reasons or the reason to buy it i guess but can you don't get snake on all you can get devices. an app 
that it's just snaky. I mean, is it Slitherio? Slitherio. Slitherio. Well, I don't know how you say it, but oh. that, that's, that is far superior to snake in every respect. I mean, why would you, the only reason you would want to buy this fifty quid Nokia phone is surely, as a as a kind of just a joke, as a sort of a retro thing to be holding and using joke, you know it? using a retro phone which essentially just makes calls and sends texts and obviously you can play snake there's there's nothing else about it it's, it's a 2g phone it technically has a web browser but you're not going to do any web browsing on it people are saying oh you should buy it as a backup phone for going to festivals and stuff but you know you can buy a cheap android phone for 50 quid i think you could get a lot cheaper than 50 quid something that's similar a burner phone um people are obviously going for the specific retro look the the cachet of this particular model, which I don't know if we already said it was launched in 2000. So 17 year old tech, and this is an industry where it's always year after year, minor upgrades we get very excited about, and for some reason we're now buying a 17 year old phone. With some updates, but as you said, not a touch screen, which seems odd. But the ridiculous thing is we're talking about it, and it is completely overshadowing the fact that Nokia has announced three new, or some new, Android phones. So Nokia's back, yes. the brand, but it's now making Android phones. Hasn't it? It's been sort of bought out then, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been bought out. Um, the, the trouble is, Nokia dropped the ball a long time ago. They tried to launch some tablets. Um, I don't think we... Re they, had, they didn't really come to the UK, as far as I know. Uh, that was Android as well. And now, of course, they've got the Android phones. But they're now competing with Samsung and all the other big Android manufacturers. Yeah, um, but they've got Android on, on Nokia... Um, this pretty much leaves what nobody left who hasn't gone for Android except Apple. Pretty um, much, yes. Got BlackBerry as well. Well, that's that is another one, isn't it? BlackBerry, the new key one, which is a an, another Android phone, but this time with a proper physical keyboard. Um, if you're if you want a BlackBerry, if you love that that solid BlackBerry feel and you you want a physical keyboard, it seems that the key one is going to be the one to buy this year, the Android phone with a physical keyboard. Um, but do, again, do people want physical keyboards? I, I still find this really hard to understand. Better, I, I think the answer is pretty much no. <laughs> I mean, there's that generation that could type text really fast on those little keyboards, but it's not like it's actually better for typing any kind of serious sort of article or anything, because you're still using your thumbs. It's not like you know the keyboard that comes with the iPad Pro have, or something where it's you, all right. Have you tried going back to a, a dumb, dumb phone from a smartphone? Because I have when my screen is smashed or whatever, and it's just horrific to type on. I can't imagine yeah. to have one of those. I don't. I don't do really. I don't really get it. I mean, that's quite often the case. But, um, <laughs> I, I don't see what why people would want a, um, a hardware keyboard. I guess that they are thinking that whatever, however small the niche is, they might as well get that niche because they're not going to compete with. That is. A, um, that's a very good point, actually. In any sort of. Uh, and the fact is that a lot of the other. Manufacturers who are coming out with updates, um, such as you know, the, there are some good phones coming out. Uh, the LG G6. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about the LG G6 particularly because of the design, um, which is bezel-free or, or nearly bezel-free. Yeah, what what they've done is they've tried to make a a one-handed phone, if you like, uh, something that's comfortable to use with one hand, but with really big screens. So they've managed to somehow get a 5.7-inch screen into a phone that you can still use with one hand. So they've gone completely away from the modular design of the LG G5, and now they've put a, a, an even wider screen on, so it's an 18 by 9 screen rather than 16 by 9 um, and it means that you, you have a much bigger screen-to-body ratio. Does that mean that the 
existing apps will need to be redesigned for that aspect ratio. Well, this is this is the interesting point because it's, it's giving away, um, giving over more screen uh, to to the apps. But yes, the apps will need to know and be aware that they they can use that extra bit of screen. I think right now uh, we're not quite sure what works and what doesn't. If you try and watch a video, for example, you'll just get black bars down the left and right hand sides. So yeah. you're not actually seeing the extra screen there. You're just not using it. I suppose it's a bit like when the iPhone 5 launched and yeah, while we were waiting exactly. for the apps to be updated, you always got black bars. We have to move on because there's so many things to talk about. Um, what about on the tablet side of things? So Samsung has launched some new tablets. We haven't heard much from Samsung in terms of uh, tablets for a long time. So they've launched the new uh, Tab S3, which is an Android tablet. I, I mean, it's a nice tablet, but we've, we've seen uh, that kind of Android tablet before. The more interesting one is the new Galaxy Book, which uh, Samsung is now competing with Microsoft on the Surface Pro, and it runs Windows 10. So Samsung stopped manufacturing laptops, Windows laptops, quite a while ago, and you could say that they're back because they've got a Windows laptop. So it comes with a keyboard case, so you can you can use your your Windows tablet. Just like a Surface Pro, you can you can use that keyboard and start typing away, and it's got a, a touchpad on it. Uh, it comes in two sizes, so there's a 10-inch and a 12-inch, um, which means again quite uh, similar to Microsoft's uh, range because they've got the smaller 10-inch uh, surface as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it does seem. I mean, there are other manufacturers like Lenovo and others who are making these Windows 10 tablets with keyboards. So it's by no means the only competitor to the Surface Pro and of course Microsoft is uh, heavily rumoured to be launching the Surface Pro 5 really soon so it's going to be a lot of stuff going on in terms of Windows 2 and 1s. Yeah. Well, they're, going for the <coughs> they're going for the mobile business market presumably. Um, I sort of wanted to throw it over to you guys on the business side. Do you find that people are willing to use tablets as work devices on the go? Is that something that's made it into the enterprise as we call it? Well I mean I think you're seeing a lot. You're seeing it a lot more in retail. Um, like staff are being given tablets to use all the time. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, why not? <laughs> and that's what I mean. I remember Apple had a big thing about um, the iPhone, the iPad Pro, uh -huh. about how it was going to be the next big business tool. And I, I don't think that's happened. Mm. I think it's still just this little niche of people that need to, you know, um, draw pictures on the go rather than really working in the, in the sort of boring sense. I think it probably depends on the business, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I know uh, MWC this year, SAP have uh, elaborated a little bit on their partnership with Apple. They're releasing a software developer kit specifically for developing apps on the enterprise on um, SetPanel. So, you know, there's clearly some interest there. Yeah. I, I suppose a, a couple of, well, probably five or six years ago now, we had the whole bring your own device trend where you know, the whole point was bringing tablets to work and making it secure in the right. in the enterprise setting. So, I, yeah, it just depends on the business, really. I think. Yeah. Um, we should talk about VR, and this is going right away from business. But um, oh, Jim is looking at me. We're running out of time. Uh, well, quickly then. There's a new. Um, I'm going to put words in your mouth. There's a new, new Steam VR headset that's been announced at MWC, which we're getting very excited about. How about we talk about uh, 5G last of all, um, which everybody's been talking about. I is there any actual concrete reality to this now? Um, in some senses there are. I mean, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes uh, to to make sure that this, this tech is, is kind of actually 
it can actually work. Um, but I don't think we're going to actually see any phones with 5G or the infrastructure support until about 2020. So you've got another three years really to wait before you can have a 5G phone. The, the benefit, of course, will be that it will go a lot faster than 4G. If you think 4G is fast now, and it is when you get a really good <laughs> signal, then then you know you can. I could sort be, of think four G is fast. It is fast. Five G is going to blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> but then that's what they said about four G after I had three G. I, th I think this is the problem that they're claiming one gigabit per second. Now that would burn through my data in probably half a second or something. Are they saying ten gigabits? Um, I know they say up to. So I mean, won't. Uh, maybe it is ten gigabits. The point is, the real world speeds are going to be a lot faster than 4G, mm. but whether you'll actually see that I anywhere outside of central London, Birmingham, Manchester, those kind of places, it's, it's yeah. Will, uh, will the carriers be prepared for it? Because I know that, well, I, I think, if I remember correctly, they're kind of struggling to deal with the amount of traffic on 4G networks as it is. That is a good question as well. I think that they the the infrastructure rollout for this is going to take even longer mm -hmm. so well technically your samsung or your apple phone may support 5g it's not going to be for a number of number of years after that that we'll maybe see the very full speed that's available with it as they knock off 2g and possibly 3g i think, um, I think it's going to be one of those things where um, emerging economies get it quicker because there's less infrastructure to replace almost it could could well happen mm -hmm. so we'll have to wait and see really yeah Okay, well, um, last word on it then is uh, we've been talking about phones, and the uh, <laughs> like the headline grabber has been this 17 year old retro phone. Is there a point in having an event like Mobile World Congress when all the new phones are all basically the same, and the only one we're actually talking about is this ancient one? Are phones different enough to justify this sort of event now, Jim? I think there's always going to be an appetite for the next phone with a slightly better camera, a slightly faster <laughs> yeah. processor, but we are only talking about incremental updates. There's nothing revolutionary, mm. is there? I mean, even the LG G6, even the new Samsung S8, which, which wasn't launched at MWC. That what, what is there to really get excited about? There's nothing revolutionary, is there? Yeah. Well, VR, um, VR is the next thing. Um, and it's they a say. Yeah, it's a shame we didn't have more time to talk about VR, but um, it's that's still a niche product. Smartphones have become commoditized and are too mainstream, and VR is too niche, and we're at a difficult point at the moment, and people are giving up on tablets. Um, uh, that's a bit of a downer, so uh, let's get around the room with an exciting question. Um, and the question is, Mobile World Congress, <laughs> or Mobile World Congre, no. Uh, Tom McCauley. Okay, Mobile World Congress, because it rhymes so well. What, but don't don't base it on that. Base it on the truth in your heart. Okay. Um, mobile World Congress. It's Barcelona. Okay. Yeah. All right. Tamla McGee. Mobile World Congress. And Jim Martin. And mobile World Congress. I'm impressed. I thought. All right. Brilliant. Uh, well, let's have a little break then. Uh, and <laughs> in a minute, we'll be talking about the government. UK Tech Weekly podcast. Tom McCauley. Uh, some people might be surprised to find that the UK government has a digital strategy. Um, they've not been only having one, but talking about it this week. Can you fill us in? They have, yeah. And you're right to be surprised because it's been delayed for more than a year now. But um, similarly to the government transformation strategy that was published two weeks ago. But yeah, they launched it yesterday in a converted biscuit factory in Bermondsey in London. That seems apt somehow. Yeah, yeah. Digital transformation, full effects. But... Um, 
It's um yeah, culture secretary Karen Bradley MP launched it, and it's split into seven separate strands, which uh, cover connectivity, skills, digital businesses, data, digital government, cyberspace, and the wider economy. Um, and which which of those is the most important? You think? Well, the one that the report puts most emphasis on is digital skills, and their sort of ultimate solution to addressing the digital skills gap is basically industry involvement. They're trying to bring the private sector on board to provide training. They promise more than 4 million free digital skills training opportunities across the nation. Um, schemes such as Google pledging to boost seaside town digital skills. Um, specifically seaside town. Yeah, yeah. I guess they want a nice break. But, um, Lovely. Yeah, Lloyd's Banking Group providing digital skills training to 2.5 million people. Barclays teaching coding to 45,000 children. Um, yeah, it's got sort of mixed feedback, I'd say, the report. Well, I guess and in my immediate response to this is that um, Brexit is hanging heavy over all of this. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of the elephant in the room. They don't yeah. really discuss it at great length, and I think that's something that's been criticised in the feedback I've seen. But um, uh, Karen Bradley promised to secure this residential status of the current EU nationals in the UK, but didn't really go into details of how she'd do that. And I and think Does that she have the powers to influence that? No, I don't believe she does. I mean, she's sort of reiterating what the government said without really giving any kind of clear indication of how that will take place. But a lot of people are concerned about a potential Brexit brain drain. That seems to be one of the main criticisms. Yeah, it's going to present problems for research and academia. Didn't didn't Liam Fox just the other day say something along the lines of um, IT contractors and government employers must be pro-Brexit and have a certain Brexity kind of culture. Brexity. Yeah. yeah, well, you didn't You're say Brexity. Brexity aren't you, <laughs> yes, I'm incredibly Brexity, <laughs> David. Um, but you'd, th- you'd think if there's all this scare about brain drain, specifically saying you must be pro-Brexit to companies that you're hiring is kind of counter-effective. Yeah, yeah, it does sound it, definitely. Um, I don't know, that's, that's not something that she went to any depth about, probably no, with good reason, <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. Um, but I think, yeah, the main thing was the, the skills that they're providing, but it was, again, one of those sorts of documents, another strategy, but what does it really mean in practice? And that's still... Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. But it's quite unclear. But the intentions are good, do you think? Um, the concepts are sound? I don't think they have malicious intentions, but <laughs> it's really... That's something has fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure this would come to a big surprise, especially to my steam colleague, Tamlin, that they're basically oh, political. Yeah, it? yeah, they're basically asking the private sector to do a lot of the work. Well, that might not be the worst idea, I suppose, mm. considering uh, the power that they have to affect change in a positive yeah. way. Um, we've mentioned 5G already, um, so let's sort of skirt over this fairly briefly. But they want to uh, tell me if I've got this wrong. They want to expand the coverage of 4G. Um, and I suppose the big question is, why are you bothering with 5G when 4G is still unavailable to so much of the country? Yeah. Well, even, even Wi-Fi. Good Wi-Fi is unavailable to a lot of countries as well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. They're addressing that, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they actually spoke more. I haven't gone through the entire document because it's enormous, but they discussed specifically a £1 billion investment in next-generation digital connectivity, which would include full fibre and 5G. But obviously, it's particularly in rural areas, they're still struggling to get a kind of good reception of what they've got, so... We'll see how that works in practice. Do we know where the billion pounds is going to come from? No, it was again, I think it was something that they repeated from the autumn statement. Okay. So it wasn't a new promise from what I understand. But it's a yeah, suspiciously round really. number, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, perfect. How, how much are you going to spend on it? Yeah. A billion. <laughs> a billion pounds. Um, okay, he's, I, I, I'm hearing a lot about um, social issues as well uh, on this sort of topic, about how it can... Um, influenced by technology and this goes back to what uh, you were saying about malicious intent um, do you think that they can use technology to um, create opportunities for poorer people in this country for example um, more Uber drivers <laughs> yeah yeah um, I'm sort of thinking as the idea of uh, technology as an equalizer as um, a way of bringing people that wouldn't traditionally have the opportunities into sure. The 21st century. Yeah. That is something they discuss mostly on a regional level. They also talk about diversity, particularly getting more women involved in the industry. And there are some schemes that are already in place trying to do that. But that's what they said was a principal driving factor behind what they call the digital skills partnership, effectively getting private sector involvement in providing training. Because they said they say that that's going to allow them to use their regional expertise to focus on specific issues in those in those areas of the country. Um, Safe and secure cyberspace? Is that something that the government can control? Yeah, cybersecurity is another thing they touched on. They talk about particularly bringing in more robust parental controls for internet use. What does that mean? In practice, can't can't say, Mm -hmm. personally. Um, I haven't seen anything specific in the document myself. That's not to say that it isn't there, because I haven't read the whole thing. But it's something that um, Karen Brady touched upon during the launch. Yeah. Um, and uh, making the government more digital, that seems like... This, a lot of this reminds me of... Um, we've managed not to mention him so far this week, but it reminds me of Trump. <laughs> Just, they're using the word digital the way he uses the word cyber. Yeah, yeah. The government's already fairly digital, isn't it? I think we did pretty well by sort of international rankings. Um, I think it's a UN survey, survey that places the UK number one in the world for digital government. Yeah. Um, that's at least what they claimed at this launch event, but probably worth checking. But then presumably that also opens it up to 
um, the dangers of being hacked. Yes. Uh, which uh, is likely to happen, given their understanding of technology. Um, do you think politicians should get involved in technology in this way? Or I mean, are they even involved? Is this, is this just hot air? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't imagine... I mean, I could be entirely wrong. I can't see Karen Braley being a cybersecurity expert, but... Mm. Um, she seems committed to the idea of it. It is interesting. Um, you got a bit of it from Osborne in his, his sort of financial statements and that, but I think specifically since Theresa May took over, they, they seem to be really trying to present themselves as pro-technology and, and really advanced in that regard. I know Philip Hammond recently opened the National Cybersecurity Centre and committed, I think, £2 billion to that as well. And... Uh, was peacocking about our abilities to hack ISIS, whatever that means. <laughs> peacocking, I like that. Yes. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that we're, we're seeing so much like positive noise about technology from, mm. from the government over the last year or two. Yeah, rather. You remember what um, Corbyn said about you had that completely incomprehensible statement about I thought that cyber was very physical good. factory? I thought that was very good. He was the only one talking about automation and the fact that... Mm. Big data. Yeah, yeah and yeah. open source learning and education and stuff. Yeah, like and those are three topics that I haven't been touched on upon at all from what I've seen of the strategy. Deregulation was a big thing. Yeah, yeah, they did mention that. They're going to try and make um, innovation-friendly regulation, but they don't. from what I've seen, again, I can't say I've read the entire document. There isn't that much on the specifics of that, but I think it's obviously going to be peeling back the regulation. Yeah, they're going to transform this country into the kind of place that welcomes Peter Thiel colliding into hospitals on a drone <laughs> and harvesting organs, probably for the Silicon Valley child. Yep, that's the example she gave, yeah. Was it really? <laughs> well, the difficulty that we have now is persuading any new company to come here, or any large company to come here, since the Brexit referendum result. Yeah. Um, well, what's funny about that is when um, Arm got bought by SoftBank, and that was lauded as a, a yeah. very positive move for British technology. It's like, hang on, biggest... Te- uh, British like technology success story. If you're buying into that whole narrative, has just been bought by a Japanese conglomerate. Yeah. Like, what is going on there? Like the immediate vulnerability of British companies following that decision. Yeah, completely contradictory. Um, we should probably draw a veil over this. Um, <laughs> uh, let's get around the room. Um, the question is strategy, or I don't think much of thatagy. You like that, Tamlin? You normally laugh at my question. Yeah. You think <laughs> I like that one? Uh, uh, Jim, you go first. I don't think much of that, G. It's good, isn't it? Uh, Tom? I don't think much of that, G. And Tamlin? I do not think... What was it? I don't think much of that, G. It's not yeah. that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> good. Uh, so all positive for the first one, all negative for this one. We'll have another break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about robots. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Tamlin McGee. I am a robot. <laughs> not really, of course. <laughs> Just a joke. Um, but what's all this uh, you've been telling me about killer robots? Well, not necessarily killer robots, but a security vendor called IOActive has been testing uh, consumer, home, business and industrial robotics for security vulnerabilities and found that most of them are shipping out the factory with incredibly insecure software or weak to zero encryption or authentication issues and so on. Um, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but when you think about the fact that most of these robots are connected to a wider network or have cameras on them or microphones or can literally be moved around, 
it poses quite a dystopian, yeah. weird scenario. Do you know what I mean? All right, so let's get back to the, the simple. You're, you're using all your powder up in the first minute. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> are we talk, first of all? Are we talking what kind of robots are we talking about? Are we talking about the um, the fun ones you buy in the home? Yeah, are we the... about industrial robots. Are we talking about all robots? Well, they tested robots from vendors including SoftBank, EUB Tech, Robotis, Universal Robots, Rethink Robotics, and Azratech, which is, it, it covers all those three things, so home, business, and industry as well. Okay. Um, and I've been, <laughs> I've just discovered a stat, which is that there's like 1.8 million industrial robots in the world, and there's going to be another 1.4 million by 2019. So potentially, any of these robots could be what, hacked? Well, it's like it's like with any kind of nascent technology, vendors who are creating it are so keen to get people to buy them, they tend to ship them without security considerations in mind. We saw that with the wave of the first IoT devices, Internet of Things devices, whereby, you know, it was all about getting the devices out there, but they didn't necessarily have security bakes in. Um, but in terms of robotics, IDC reported that the market will be worth $188 billion by 2020. So it's not just this kind of crazy hypothetical scenario. We are going to see rob- some kind of robotics in our homes, in our businesses, places of work, and in factories as well. So the fact that they're vulnerable is like, a real problem. It feels like robots have been around for quite a long time. I know I know mm-hmm. that we, we're sort of on the hockey stick of the, of the graph, mm-hmm. but there have been robots in factories since... You know, what, the 80s or something. Absolutely, yeah. Why has it only come to this point that we're starting to think about security? Well, I was talking to the to the CTO from IOActive and he was just as surprised as I was. The fact that, you know, industrial robots have been around for a long time, but hardly anyone's talking about security in them at all. And they haven't been, really. They don't need passwords or can you put a password and people are just leaving the default <laughs> yeah some, some of them some of them ship without any passwords or have very weak passwords or it's very difficult to change the passwords on them um, there's parallels there with something called the Mirai botnet you might have heard about that whereby um, it's kind of self-replicating internet of things botnet and hackers basically develop code that would brute force access into these insecure devices using very simple passwords or variations of passwords and created a very powerful, like, record-breaking botnet. Um, so you have to wonder that if if all these machines are going to be everywhere and they're shipping without passwords, like, it, it just yeah. seems crazy. <laughs> yeah. It seems a bit more dangerous, doesn't it, with robots, especially if they can move around yeah. or they have lasers on them or something like that. <laughs> Cutting tool. Yeah, Cutting the, tools. The yeah. US Department of Labor keeps a list of people maimed or killed by robots. Um, it's not that long, but there is two pages to it. Um, and the, these things are going to... I don't want to sound scaremongery or anything, but these things are going to be more powerful and sophisticated to the degree where you might be able to manipulate them to cause physical harm to people. You can't really do that with a thermostat in your house or a smart light bulb, can you? So it's a bit different. No, although the Internet of Things stuff, I think, is vulnerable to hacking. Maybe not in the sort of killing people sense, <laughs> but it could certainly withhold data or, or broadcast data. I think probably the the more realistic scenarios, rather than robots turning on their Master. human masters in, in in factories, is that uh, they could be used for industrial sabotage or espionage. Because a lot a lot of the ones in factories ship with again like cameras and microphones on them. You just need to get access to one of those in a fab or 
any kind of a factory and you can broadcast what you're viewing to to the attacker. Has anybody around this table got a robot? No. Um, I've only got a kind of a kid's toy robot which you can control with your phone over Bluetooth. It's not Cloud Pets, is it? It's not Cloud Pets, <laughs> no. No, it isn't. Yeah, it's the Jimdo. Uh, no, what is it? That's Jimdo. It's called Jimbo or something. I see. And would would any of you be willing to get a robot now that you've heard this? Would this influence your I don't really know what purpose a robot would serve in my life. <laughs> well, it could, it, could, it could do your bidding. Uh, well, I've I've seen a few. It's probably similar to what you have, Tamlin. And uh, they the companies like to say that they they're also home robots. Primarily, they are um, these kind of ones that can move around. They could be used in in businesses for maybe you know you could have one as a as a, a waiting robot. So it would mm. rock up to your table and and it would display a menu on the thing and you would tap what you want, mm. um, and then it would play some music or whatever <laughs> and go away. But having one of those really annoying. Having one of those in your house, <laughs> what? I, yeah, unless it was properly sophisticated and it could actually do the chores. Mm. What purpose does it serve? The the only one I can really think of is where it's it's company for the elderly. Mm. If if you've got an elderly relative who is at home alone, then they they might be able to you know with all the Give AI that's box. coming along as well, <laughs> it it could in theory. Talk to them. <laughs> that's, their company. that's something in Japan. I know that they've sort of put a lot of money into. Yeah, but yeah, caring yeah. for the elderly. Yeah, there's something really sad about that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Sad, really. <laughs> well, it's sad, but it's sort of pragmatic, isn't it? Mm. Is it which you rather have a sort of dystopian robot carer or no company? I know we're not supposed to be talking about AI, but Facebook just announced in February that they're going to be using a lot more AI to look at posts on Facebook, and specifically, this was the one I saw that they would look at posts just to see if anyone had any suicidal thoughts yeah. and was saying, you know, I'm so sad, I, I, I'm going to end it all. And rather than rely on human users to flag up those posts to Facebook's team, mm -hmm. the AI will now automatically flag up those posts for the, for the review team, who, and then somebody will get in touch with those users. Um, it's quite intrusive in a way, isn't it? <laughs> which is, which yeah, is pretty intrusive. But, but as ever, you've got that balance between kind of convenience and an invasion of privacy would you mm. rather that nobody was monitoring your posts and and you wouldn't get the support that perhaps you need mm. or the other way around I, think, I, I tweeted about this and someone replied to me that they were absolutely sick of getting the Samaritans number from Google when they did searches for mental health problems and I, I think being proactively reached out to by some Facebook automaton mm. about how depressed you are would probably depress me further and convince me to go ahead with it. <laughs> <laughs> so policing your emotions as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, it's always an interesting, worrying time. Mm -hmm. Do you think, Tamlin, that robots um, should be programmed ethically? Should, should they be aware of the, <laughs> of the rights and the wrongs? Or the Asimov. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I... I Yes, probably. <laughs> are like are they at the moment? I mean, does a robot, this is going to sound silly, but does a robot know it's wrong to kill a person? You've got, <laughs> you've, you've got the laws, haven't you? The three, um, yeah. uh, I can't remember the name of the, the guy who, who Wait, came up with Asimov. the laws. Asimov, yeah. uh, it was Asimov, was it? So the, the first law is that, yeah, it can't cause any harm to a person, I'm telling yeah. you. 
you know, this, this report. So they're all built with that. This, are, are they actually built with that now? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Because this, if they're not even built with passwords, maybe they haven't bothered <laughs> to uh, put, put the laws in either. The context of this report, it highlighted a bunch of cases where robots had turned on humans, and there was a case in 2007 uh, with the South African National Defence Force where an automated weapon slaughtered nine <laughs> soldiers during testing and maimed another 14 or so. So they don't seem to be doing very well on that first law, no. to be honest. But, you know, it was designed to kill. just killed the wrong people, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or did it. Yeah. Sorry? Or did it. <laughs> or did it, yeah. Maybe it knew something we didn't. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is getting a bit uh, bleak. Um, <laughs> so it usually happens when I'm on this podcast for some reason. It really always does. Uh, <laughs> let's get around the room one last time. Uh, I, robot, or nay, robot? You could have said no bot. What? No bot. Oh, that is good, actually. Let's do that instead. Let's pretend I didn't say that one. Robot or no bot? Uh, Jim Martin. No bot. Tom McCauley. No bot. And Tony McGee. Robot. Good man. I say robot too. I love robots. Uh, and that is the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, feel free to get in touch and let us know your thoughts and opinions. Uh, you can tweet us using the handle at UK Tech Podcast, or you can email us on editor at idg.co.uk. We will be back next week with more informed opinion on the Hodgix Topics in Tech, which you can find on Acast, iTunes, SoundCloud, and those sort of places. And don't forget to subscribe, comment, and tell your friends. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Bye. See ya. UK Tech Weekly Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.